Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. I might dip in a little bit here and there to the uh, House Oversight Committee. They got the two IRS whistleblowers up there. And like they, Democrats want to make this about Joe Biden. This is about Merrick Garland. At this stage, right now, what these whistleblowers are talking about is Merrick Garland. And anytime, and I haven't heard any of the, the uh, cross-exam coming from Democrats at this point, but if you hear them start talking about Joe Biden, then you know they're trying to, trying to deflect. Now, I say that because I just saw Jamie Raskin. He's apparently first up with some questions. Um, and there is something that, yes, there was also this thing to keep in mind. The U.S. attorney that was, was a Trump appointee, but they were out of Delaware, the home state of the president, everybody knew each other. They're all lawyers and stuff in the same, you know, Delaware legal and government circles. So that was a problem that these guys uh, that these guys identify. All right, so let's see here. Let's uh, discretion at this is Ziegler. But I would like to make one reference okay. that this does not include the the over a hundred thousand dollars in additional tax due and owing that was not charged related. No, you made yourself clear. You thought there were additional charges that were laid on the table and not pursued by U.S. Attorney Weiss, the Trump appointee. But Mr. Shapley, <laughs> you testified that the critical moment in your decision what a jerk. Uh, to blow the whistle in the Hunter Biden investigation was the October 7th meeting 2022 that you had with U.S. Attorney David Weiss. And up until that point, you say you were willing to chalk up the differences with prosecutors to the typical, quote, investigator versus prosecutor type thing which is what I think this is all about. But you say on page 28 of your transcript, if I wasn't in the October 7th meeting, my red line might not have been crossed. And I think you reaffirmed that today. Now, mm -hmm. as I understand it, what crossed your red line is that in that meeting, you understood Mr. Weiss to be saying that he did not have the authority to bring charges in D.C. or California without the approval of the U.S. attorneys for those districts. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, but in a letter that uh, he sent to Chairman Jordan in June, U.S. Attorney Weiss stated, and I quote, I have been granted ultimate authority over this matter, including responsibility for deciding where, when, and whether to file charges. He went on to explain that in considering charges in districts outside Delaware, usual DOJ practice would be, quote, to contact the U.S. Attorney's Office for the district in question and determine whether it wants to partner on the case. Now, if that office declined, he would request and be granted authority to bring the charge himself under, quote, special attorney status from the attorney general pursuant to 28 U.S.C. Section 515. Now, to try to clear this up, Mr. Shapley, let's go back to March 2022, when, as you explained on page 153 of the transcript, the U.S. attorney for D.C. declined to partner with Mr. Weiss to bring the 2014 and 2015 charges in D.C. After that decision... Uh, by the U.S. Attorney for D.C., Mr. Weiss continued to discuss those charges with all of you. In fact, 
Uh, Mr. Ziegler, on page 39 of your transcript, you described how in September 2022, you had a meeting in which U.S. Attorney Weiss expressed some concerns about those charges, including that in 2015, Hunter Biden was in the throes of his drug addiction after the death of his brother. And in that meeting, Mr. Weiss tells you, and I quote, I'm still weighing it. Now, Mr. Ziegler, in September 2022, Mr. Weiss was telling you that he was the one weighing whether to bring the 2014 and 2015 charges. Isn't that, isn't that correct? That is correct. Now, coming back to the October 7th, 2022 meeting, Mr. Shapley, according to you on page 155, Mr. Weiss said that, quote, he decided not to charge 2014 and 2015. It seems to me this October 7th, 2022 meeting, which you've described as a red line, is just a misunderstanding. Oh. After the U.S. attorney in D.C. declined to partner on the 14 and 15 charges, Mr. Weiss took a good hard look at those charges himself and ultimately decided not to charge them, mm. and therefore not to seek the special attorney status. He may have been right about that, he may have been wrong, as you guys make your case for, but it was his decision. Isn't that right, Mr. Shapley? No, that, that's not supported by the facts. Really? Well, which facts is it not supported by? Uh, his own admissions in the October 7th, 2022 meeting that I documented contemporaneously. And if the only piece of But he contradicts what you're saying. Do you agree that? He doesn't agree with what you're saying about that not, meeting. Not, now, I wasn't at that October 7th, 2022 meeting, <clears throat> but while what was said rolls the the over two and a half years ago may be a little ambiguous or unclear today, Mr. Weiss's letter to Chairman Jordan could not be more clear. He had, quote, Which letter? ultimate authority over this matter, including responsibility for deciding where when and whether to file the charges. So if there's any ambiguity, it's got to go to U.S. Attorney Weiss, Donald Tr Trump's hand-picked U.S. Attorney for Delaware. I yield back, Mr. Chairman. Gentleman yields back and now recognize Chairman Smith. Can I say something real quick on that? I have two things that I wanted to bring up. So oh, this is Ziegler. There are a lot of different tax cases out there that include misdemeanors and felonies. And there's a lot of reasons why we charge the felony. We might charge the misdemeanor. But I want to be clear on this, that when you have a felony charge with a misdemeanor, that you have to charge the felony. And in this case, they did not charge that felony. And then there's one more point to this. Hmm. We had a meeting with all four Excuse assigned me. when you prosecutors. Say, wait, when you say you have to charge the felony, that is a Department of Justice rule you're saying? That is in their manual that you have to charge the felony in order to avo avoid an equitable treatment of taxpayers. No, but you're saying whether or not the evidence supports it? That is a part of that is in that analysis is whether the evidence, but that's that goes back to the point of that if, the certain deductions that were taken, the certain deductions that were taken on the tax return, that's for you guys to decide whether the felony was there or not. But the point is, is that we're bringing- That's for the evidence. U.S. attorney to decide. And I'm afraid we're not gonna gentleman, be able to investigate every tax case uh, in America. Gentlemen, time's expired. Now, Chair now recognizes uh, Mr. Smith from Missouri. Thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Shapley and Mr. Ziegler, I wanna thank you both again for your testimony and your willingness to come forward and tell the truth for the American public. And I apologize of the behavior of some of our colleagues and how the press has treated you um, for doing what is right so the American people can see it. Uh, Mr. Shapley, included in the documents you provided to the Ways and Means Committee is a document labeled Exhibit 2 in the transcript of your testimony, which is a portion of a special agent report. This document is located following page 41 of the transcript, this one. What is this document and what recommendations are made in this document? Yes, so, so this is the prosecution recommendation report that uh, IRS 
CI agents produce at the end of uh, an investigation when they're going to re recommend prosecution to the Department of Justice. This was authored by Special Agent Ziegler, and uh, it's an incredibly robust document. There's there's several thousand pages because each of these uh, uh, the facts and the elements in this in this uh, particular report, um, the elements of each violation show which piece of evidence meets that element. Um, so in this report. Uh, it, it recommended felony charges for 2014, 2018, and 2019, and misdemeanor charges for 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, and 2019. And it further shows that uh, Special Agent Ziegler spoke with prosecutors uh, uh, and, and worked hand-in-hand -hand with prosecutors while this was being drafted, and they clearly agreed that the elements of these violations were met, and they supported this document. And when it was sent to Department of Justice Tax Division for approval on February 25th, 2022. There you go. So that's the that's the direct response that he didn't get to make to to Raskin, which is this was already approved. All the prosecutors, everybody was all on board. Like, but yes, David Weiss had ultimate authority, but he has now given conflicting reports as to whether or not he had authority. He said, oh, I'm going to try to partner with them, but I've got ultimate authority. Well, if you have ultimate authority, you're, you're getting this big recommendation from all of your lawyers and DOJ and everybody. They're all like, hey, let's do this. And then you're like, no, no, we're just going to slow walk it until after the election, and then we're going to... We're going to cut the sweetheart deal, and we're going to let the uh, statute of limitations expire on the 2014, 2015, 2016 years, and uh, just go with the 17, 18 years or 19 years, right? It 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 doesn't it doesn't make sense. And I, look, I don't envy the Democrats here. I really don't, because like they're they're trying to argue a very weak case. And so uh, that's a difficult thing to do. It's a difficult thing to do. Um, Shapley, in his statement, um, he details Merrick Garland's, what is apparently perjury. Um, he says, uh, quote, you had a right to know that the Attorney General's testimony about the Hunter Biden investigation was false. You have a right to know that, Congress. That's why he's blowing the whistle. Uh, there is uh, there's another aspect uh, to the story. I'm, I'm, I think we're done with the um, uh, monitoring the hearing. Um, there's another element, though, to the investigations into the Biden family. Do you know the guy, you ever heard this name, Lev Parnas or Parnas? Have you heard of this guy? Lev Parnas. A Ukrainian businessman who figured prominently in Rudy Giuliani's effort to dig up dirt on Joe Biden ahead of the 2020 election. And he said that a GOP-led House committee should end its probe into the Biden family. In a 10-page letter obtained by NBC News, Parnas told House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer that there is, quote, no evidence that the president or his son, Hunter, interfered with Ukrainian politics, and there never has been. There is simply no merit to investigating this matter any further. I don't know why he sounds creepy. He may not be. I don't, I've never heard him speak, but I just it, I get the feeling. He offered to testify under oath or provide any information the committee needs. Um, hey, Lev, pound sand, buddy. Um, 
He's apparently a pal of Rudy Giuliani. That was his that that was his entry point here. Oh, um, he says he was a key participant in meetings or phone calls between Rudy and various Ukrainian officials, often acting as a translator in efforts to pressure the Ukrainians to launch an investigation into the Biden family. He says, never during any of my communications with Ukrainian officials or connections to Burisma did any of them confirm or provide concrete facts linking the Bidens to illegal activities. In fact, he says, um, people linked to you to Burisma repeatedly asked him why our team was so concerned with this idea. Oh, oh, wait a minute. So you're thinking that Burisma, like, surely they wouldn't lie about paying bribes to the former vice president while he was the vice president, right? No, of course not. They wouldn't, surely they wouldn't do You realize there is, there are now federal people who have, like the federal agents who interviewed people with the, the federal form, right? They've got the uh, the confidential human source that's got, that talked to the head of Burisma that made the recordings. Did you talk to the head of Burisma, Lev? By the way, are you in jail yet for those other things that, You've you've been charged with and uh, oh he ran a ran a company called Fraud Guarantee. That's kind of on the nose there. Um, yeah, where he defrauded people, guaranteed fraud made sense. Couldn't see it coming. He pled guilty to conspiracy to commit wire fraud for defrauding investors in Fraud Guarantee. The best people. Um, all right, so let's talk about Jason Aldean. I am going to take off my. Uh, IRS expert hat, uh, and no, 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 not Don, the Ukrainian geopolitical expert hat. No, I'm going to put on my country music <laughs> expert hat for this. I really, I'm not. I did work at a country music station once, but I am not a country music uh, expert by any stretch. Oh, hang on a second. Uh, one last, let me read this email. This was on the, um, two emails actually, on the... Uh, the hearing there, uh, John says, the more I see and hear about the U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland, the more grateful I am for Senator Mitch McConnell and the chutzpah, the courage it took to keep Garland off the court. Yeah. Um, and Mark says, Pete, great sound bites. Would not get to hear them otherwise. Yeah, we kind of lucked out on the way it, it stacked, um, the way the the way the hearing proceeded. We were definitely lucky on that. Um, okay, so let's get to this. Uh, let me start here with Jason Aldean's uh, post that he put up on Twitter. I believe this is today? No. Yesterday. Okay. Yesterday afternoon, not not even 24 hours ago, he says in the past 24 hours, so I guess this would have been starting on Monday, I have been accused of releasing a pro-lynching song, a song that has been out actually since May, and was subject to the comparison that I, direct quote, was not too pleased with the nationwide BLM protests. These references are not only meritless, uh, but dangerous. There is not a single lyric in the song that references race or points to it, and there isn't a single video clip that isn't real news footage. And while I can try and respect others to have their own interpretation of a song with music, uh, this one goes too far. And so, uh, as so many people have pointed out, I was present at Route 91, where so many lost their lives. That's the Las Vegas shooting, right? 
And our community recently suffered another heartbreaking tragedy. No one, including me, wants to continue to see senseless headlines or families ripped apart. So the song that he made, the title of it is called Try That in a Small Town. All right. He says, to me, it refers to the feeling of a community that I had growing up where we took care of our neighbors, regardless of differences of background or belief, because they were our neighbors. And that was above any differences. My political views have never been something I've hidden from. And I know that a lot of us in this country don't agree on how we get back to a sense of normalcy where we go at least a day without a headline that keeps us up at night. But the desire for it to do so, that's what this song is about. Okay, so the name of the song is Try That in a Small Town. Now, he does cuss in. um, Yeah, he does cuss in the second verse of this thing. Um but the he's talking about and and the clips are showing the you know riot behavior some of them are yes probably from black lives matter riots that occurred right but also um crime you've seen the videos of these mobs that go into stores and tear the place up right so that's part of it too he's got these little snippets all over the place and yes some of the people doing the rioting are black here's the some of them are white though but nobody seems to realize that there's a lot of white antifa guys in these videos and his the 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 point of the song is like you know you're going to go into your you can go into those cities and you can do all of this stuff because you know maybe they don't um maybe they they let you do it but try that in a small town in other words it's a threat it's look it's a flex right it's a uh, oh this is going to come as a shock i guess that like country music stars that have some, I don't know, thoughts about tearing up their cities and they may try to do something about it if you try to tear their city up. Like you go do that over there. You know, you're smart enough. You don't come over here and do it, right? That's the whole point of the song. That's the whole gist of the song. And apparently it's been out since May. And um, now all of a sudden people are, are outraged about it because, you know, as the, uh, the Salem witchification of America proceeds... Right, the wheel of perpetual outrage continuously spins, and it must fall on somebody at some point. And I guess it's Jason Aldean's turn. Um, and so now you've got people inside of not just the music industry and showbiz, but inside country music that are that are speaking out against it, that are triggered. That this is not okay. Right, Cheryl Crow. Although is she country? Kinda? Not really? I don't know. Cheryl Crow says, I'm from a small town. Even people in small towns are sick of violence. There's nothing small town or American about promoting violence. You should know that better than anyone having survived a mass shooting. This is not American or small town-like. It's just lame. All right, look, if you don't like the... And then she's... Obviously, she's quote-tweeting Shannon Watts from the... uh, uh, Moms Demand Action, Every Town USA, the Bloomberg-backed uh, anti-gun group, right? Shannon Watts. I would tell you what she said, but she blocked me like years ago. And I never interacted with her. She just, I guess she's got like a block list or something. Um, and so I can't tell you what she said. But Cheryl Crow, like he's not promoting violence. Now, he is making a threat. But I do find it interesting that this is the song that triggers all of these leftists. Two months after it's been out, this is the song that triggers the leftists. 
Have you guys heard a rap song recently? Like within the last, I don't know, 40 years. Like, there's a couple of them that are, <laughs> there's a couple of them that are uh, pretty, pretty violent, right? Pretty violent. Oh, and before I forget, have you got your ticket to the Heritage Life Skills event yet? I'll be there. The annual event is put on by Carolina Readiness Supply, and you can learn all sorts of ways to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables. I'll be there Saturday evening. Check out the schedule at carolinareadiness.com. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness can help you. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? All right, so Jason Aldean, good for him. Don't apologize. You haven't done anything wrong. Your song, Try That in a Small Town, is this is a Facebook meme, right? This is what I have I've seen it on Twitter, I've seen it on social media. People have called in and said very similar things, which is like they they may put up with that garbage in blue cities, but you bring that crap out here, uh and you know, you get the quote Bubba effect essentially, right? You get well, that's what the Clintons called. Well, it doesn't matter. But the, the you get you get local folks in the rural areas. They're not going to put up with your crap if you start burning stores down and robbing stores. Uh, I, I mean, I guess if you want to call that vigilanteism, yeah, they're not going to tolerate your crimes, right? They're not going to put up with your criminal tookus. Can you say tookus? I just did. So it okay. It's been said. Um, so apparently, the song was released in May. But according to um, Billboard magazine, or or website, I guess now, uh, the accompanying video was not released until July 14th, so that's Friday, right? Yeah, Friday. And so it was in a heavy rotation on CMT, Country Music TV, where I guess they actually still play music videos, unlike MTV, right? Anyway, the CMT folks apparently have now pulled it. CMT today announced that the video for the song has been pulled off of the country network's air because of the backlash that started after people saw the video over the weekend i guess and it started building on monday and uh and then into tuesday and cmt confirmed today uh to cnn that they had yanked it the controversy um over try that in a small town reached a new level with the recent music video released for the song some viewers noticed scenes in the video that were shot in front of what appears to be the maury county courthouse in columbia tennessee i i did not recognize the courthouse i knew it looked like a courthouse i kind of thought at one point is that the capitol building because they it's it's the um He's doing the thing where, like, they do the cutaways, you know, and he's up there with the band, and they got him set up in front of this town hall-looking building, a town courthouse, which is, like, this is the, like, these are the iconic buildings in, like, every single town in America that was founded, like, prior to, you know, 1950, right? Like... Everybody's got these, well, except Charlotte. We tear ours down. But, I mean, all the other cities generally, especially the small towns, they build these, they built these courthouses 150 years ago, and they're still standing. They still use the buildings. And so, yeah, they, they represent these small towns, these small cities, and that's part of the backdrop. It is the backdrop he used in the, um, 
uh, in the video when he, you know, they do the cutaways and he and the band are playing. They got smoke going. It was kind of reminiscent of um, of the the dark Brandon speech. Remember that Joe Biden with the the blood red uh, lighting behind him <laughs> in Philadelphia and the and like the the black uh, uh, banners and stuff. It was just very. Yeah, very Orwellian looking. It did it, it it did have a some of that kind of vibe to it, I thought. But it was just because it was smoky cuz they were they were showing all these clips of violence and riots and, and and so of course, yeah. That was the that was the callback and they and here they are singing their song, doing the refrains and there's smoke, you know, wafting around them and in and in the background you can see the courthouse. I didn't know what courthouse it was. But somebody seems to think they know what courthouse it is. This Maury County Courthouse in Columbia, Tennessee. I don't know why they don't know why they chose that courthouse. But the courthouse has been the site of several incidents of racial violence, including the 1927 lynching of a black man named Henry Choate. So a 1927 lynching that occurred at that site, at the courthouse, right, where, like, that actually, that actually makes sense, because right, they would have gone, like, to, you know, commit, quote-unquote, justice, you know, so they, they murder somebody at the courthouse, 1927, and we're supposed to make that connection in 2023, so uh, almost 100 years, what, 96 years later, we're supposed to make that connection that that happened at that site based on the look of that courthouse. I didn't know what courthouse it was, but I'm supposed to see this as a lynching song? As touting lynching? That's really? That's what I... It also served as a backdrop for the Columbia race riot in 1946. I... Okay, so what? No more... So can you not film anything, any music videos or anything like that at a... I don't know, like... Boston, the entire city of Boston, right? <laughs> I mean, if if the location of of race riots is out, see, here's the thing. It's he here's some of the lyrics. He says, "Cuss out a cop, spit in his face, stomp on the flag, and light it up." Yeah, you think you're tough? Well, try that in a small town. See how far you make it down the road. Around here, we take care of our own. You cross that line, it won't take long for you to find out. I recommend you don't. Try that in a small town. And he, uh, and he defends it, and he should, because he's, it's a, that's not what his song was about. These people are, are projecting onto him something that is in their minds. Once again, the dog whistle. Who hears it, right? The dogs. Don't ever apologize. Um, Jay says, uh, Cheryl Crow says there's something in the song. Jason Aldean says there's nothing in the song. Just what exactly are we looking for? Where is the clip? You can find the clip, Jay. It's all over the interwebs. Um, and you can watch the video too, which by the way, this is another one of the, uh, what the Streisand effects, <laughs> right? Where nobody was really aware of this thing. And then all of a sudden the outrage wheel lands on Jason Aldean. He's a witch. He's a witch. And now everybody is aware of the song and the video, and now it's rocketing up the charts like a bullet. Oh, no, wait. I did not mean to trigger anyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.